Before we begin, I have some exciting news to share with you. Uh, about a year ago, our longtime pastor of women's ministry, Cynthia Fantasia, uh, retired from uh, many years of fruitful and faithful ministry here at Grace. Now, thankfully, we didn't lose Bob and Cynthia. They're still actively involved in the life of the church. And thankfully, women's ministry continued to carry on and had a really wonderful year. Uh, across all our campuses, women rose up and took leadership, and ministries have gone really wonderfully. But all along, we've been wondering and praying and looking for the next leader the Lord might bring to us uh, to lead women's ministry into the future and to serve our broader congregation as well. Um, so after a, a year's worth of a nationwide search and dozens of interviews and Skype conversations and uh, all those sorts of things, I'm happy to introduce you this morning to our next pastor of women's ministries, Cheryl Lackey. And I'm going to ask her to come join me here on the platform as you welcome her. Now, Cheryl comes to us by way of Texas and Arkansas, and uh, she served for many years in the field of broadcast journalism, TV as a reporter, as a producer, as an on-air host. Along the way, she sensed the Lord. During those years, she was involved as a lay leader at uh, Fellowship Bible Church, a great church in Little Rock, Arkansas, that we have sought to emulate in many ways. Sensing God's call to ministry, she went off to Dallas Theological Seminary, and while she was there, uh, was involved in women's ministry at Irving Bible Church, another great church there in Dallas. So we are confident that uh, Cheryl has the gift and the passion and the training and the experience and, above all, the anointing and the call of God to be our next pastor of women's ministries and to serve our congregation in many ways across all of our campuses. So I'm going to give Cheryl a moment to say hi and introduce herself, and then we'll pray for, for her and our new beginning together. Cheryl? Thank you, Brian. Good morning, Grace Chapel. How are you? <laughs> You're wide awake in the 11 o'clock service. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, it is good to be with you this morning. And, uh, you know, as Brian said, you guys have been prayer, very prayerful, faithfully prayerful over the last year, um, seeking God's direction for a pastor of women's ministries. And I, too, about nine months ago, began a, a concentrated, specific time of prayer, seeking the Lord and asking God, where do you want to send me? You've given me this background and experience and now the privilege of seminary training. So here I am. What do you want to do? And uh, in his sovereignty and, and graciousness to us, he had the conversation begin with Grace Chapel. And it has been an ongoing conversation, a wonderful one, and one I very much look forward to continuing. If I was to put a, a banner over it, if you will, at this time, it would be the word would be surrender. Um, it's kind of scary, right, when you stand before God and say, here I am, Lord, send me. But I'm happy to say that this southerner is moving north very soon. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> and I'm excited about it. I've begun building relationships with women who serve here already, and I look forward to meeting many more of you and joining together, partnering together in ministry and in life. So I will be out in the lobby after the service. Please, please stop by and see me because I would love to meet you. Oh, Cheryl, stay, Cheryl, stay, 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 let's come pray. Yes, don't want to start without praying. Let, let's pray together, okay? Lord, with joy and gratitude, we are humbled to be at this moment 
to believe that you have had your eye upon this ministry, that by your sovereign hand you have led Cheryl to us and us to her and to this significant moment in the life and ministry of the church. We thank you for many, many decades of vibrant women's ministry here at Grace and believe you have new and good things to do in the future. And we're thankful for the leadership and direction that she'll provide for that, as well as for the pastoral presence she'll bring to our staff and to our life together. Lord, we pray for her as she makes this big move and settles in. May you lead her to a home and a community she can be part of. May you raise up leaders to serve alongside her and around her and a close group of friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who can uh, walk alongside her in this journey. And together we will trust you for the good things you have in store for us in the days to come. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you may leave. Yes. Well, the summer movie season is here, and so it's time for the next round of superhero movies. They tell us that, there's a fan, okay. They tell us that three are coming out this summer. Avengers, Age of Ultron. All right, that's that's already in theaters, as we have just heard. Then there's Ant-Man, who doesn't sound very heroic or very super, but I guess so. And then Fantastic Four, Days of Future Past. (laughs) Now, in case you haven't picked up on it already, I'm not especially a fan of superhero movies in general. I haven't seen most of them as they've come out over the years. But I am intrigued by their popularity. They tell us that something like six of the ten best box box office opening summer hits have been superhero movies. So why is that? What is it about these movies that people find so compelling? Well, some will say it's just pure escapism, that uh, our lives are too safe, too predictable, too boring, and so we go to the movies for an adrenaline rush, and superhero movies deliver that. Others will say it's, it's all about hope, that the world is so frightening, so unpredictable, Uh, Evil seems to be so prevalent that we go to the movies to to believe that someone can come to our rescue, to to see good conquering evil and the world made safe for another year. So some of those things I'm sure are true. But I believe that it goes even deeper than that. I think deep down, people are intrigued by the possibility of an ordinary person doing extraordinary things. Saving the girl, getting the bad guys, saving the planet, whatever it might be. Deep down, we all wonder, who would we be? What could we accomplish if we had more power, super power? What if we were faster, stronger, smarter, braver than our natural selves? That's why we're so intrigued by the backstory of all these characters. We want to know the, the origin of their superpower. Where did they get it? Uh, Superman brings him with him from the planet Krypton. Peter Parker gets bit by a radioactive spider. The Fantastic Four are students who somehow get teleported to another universe where they come back with supernatural powers. Now, we know they're all fantasies. They're, they're made-up characters and impossible scenarios but they offer us the possibility that we could be better than we are. 
that we could overcome our fears and inadequacies and weaknesses and do something good and significant in the world. And as it turns out, superhero movies are onto something biblical. Because that desire to want to do and be something more, that was placed deep within us by our Creator who made us in His image to do and be glorious things in this world and the world to come. Our God who came to this earth in superhuman form to save the world and now invites us to join Him in this great redemptive work. It's all very exciting. The problem is we're never able to live up to those possibilities. We continually fall short of all the good and glorious things we were made to be and to do in this world. And that's true even after we come to faith, even after we become Christians. I mean, it's a familiar story. We, we come to faith in Christ, we find forgiveness of our failures and the freedom to begin again. And we have high hopes for this new life we're going to live with Christ. Maybe we'll finally, finally find uh, freedom from the, the insecurities, the fear, the anxieties that weigh us down. Maybe we'll finally gain victory over that bad habit or that besetting sin. Maybe we'll finally become the parent, the neighbor, the worker, the, the leader that we've always wanted to be. But then reality hits. And in a weak moment or a tough situation, we fall back into our own way, old ways. We do the same old thing. We repeat the same old behaviors. And we're back to being our very natural fallen selves. One Christ follower puts it this way. I really don't know what's wrong with me sometimes. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, and my conscience tells me I'd be better off doing it God's way. But I can't help myself because there's something wrong inside of me making me do these things. Man, what is wrong with me? Who will free me from this rotten way of living? Now, it could be you recognize those words because they're not the words of a, any old ordinary Christ follower. They're the words of Paul himself, the great apostle, sharing his frustration in Romans chapter 7. And we resonate with his words because we've been there. And we're tired of feeling that way, of being stuck in this cycle of resolve, failure, forgiveness. Resolve, failure, forgiveness. We want something more, something better for our lives. More life and love and power to overcome our fears and weaknesses and do something good in the world. And so that's why this spring we're turning our attention to the Holy Spirit in this series we're calling More. Jesus promised that after he left, he would send his Holy Spirit to be with us, that the Spirit would, would, would heal us and change us and empower us. And so we've been learning in this series how to make space for the Spirit to do that fresh, new, empowering work in our lives, in our homes, our church, and in the world. And some of us have actually experienced the power and presence of the Spirit in, in some remarkable ways this spring. As a church and individually, I've heard many stories from people. The question is, why doesn't it happen more often? Why don't we experience the Spirit's power and why don't we have this victory and freedom on a regular basis? Well, those are the questions we're going to go after this morning as we continue on in this series. 
I want to take you to a book of the Bible in which Paul addresses these very questions. He helps us understand why we get stuck in these old ways of behaving and shares with us the secret for living the abundant life in Christ. And I can honestly tell you the simple truth we're going to talk about this morning has the potential to revolutionize the way you live your life and the way you follow Christ. So let's go to the New Testament book of Galatians, one of the many letters Paul wrote. And Galatians is one of the most hard-hitting and direct of all of Paul's letters, but it's also very hopeful and helpful. So we can't cover the whole book, obviously. We're going to kind of hop and skip and jump our way through some sections of Galatians. Let's see how he begins. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Now, Galatia was a province of the Roman Empire that Paul visited on his first missionary journey. And it turned out his ministry there was very fruitful, and he established several churches in several cities, and they got off to a great start. But by the time he got back to Jerusalem, news, disturbing news came to him about the condition of those churches. Look at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. It turns out the, the believers in these Galatian churches had fallen under some bad teaching. We can't explain it all thoroughly, but the basic gist of it is that they were being taught that it wasn't enough simply to profess faith in Christ as their Savior. They now also had to keep all the requirements of the Jewish law. Now, when you consider that there were 400-plus laws in the code of the time, including circumcision, this was not good news. It was not only a burdensome expectation, it was an impossible expectation. No one could possibly keep all of those laws. And this was a big problem. I should point out that, that Paul here, as he writes this letter, he doesn't even begin with a word of love and thanks like he does in almost every other letter that he writes. He jumps right into the tough stuff. Imagine starting a letter to a friend, something like this. Dear Sam, hi, how are you? I'm fine. What's this I hear about you quitting your job and opening a tattoo parlor? Are you crazy? <laughs> That's the way Paul begins this letter. He gets right in their face. And if you think I'm exaggerating, jump ahead to chapter 3, verse 1. He writes, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I would like to know just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? And just so we don't miss the intensity of Paul's language here, one translation puts it this way. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. <laughs> now, I only let myself say the word idiot when I'm watching TV or driving on Route 128. <laughs> what would cause Paul to be so upset? Why is he so troubled? He's upset because these believers have traded the good news of trusting Christ for the bad news of trying harder. They traded the good news of trusting Christ for the bad news of trying harder. When he uses that word flesh, 
He's not just talking about their physical bodies. He's talking about our natural selves, who we are in our own strength. Basically, he's saying, you didn't come to Christ in your own strength, so why are you trying to follow Christ in your own strength? It had become a big problem, and it's still a problem today. We still fall into those same patterns of thinking. We come to Christ on the basis of faith alone. We realize there's no way we can measure up even to our own standards of goodness and righteousness, let alone God's. And so we come to Jesus just as we are. We throw ourselves on his mercy and grace. We say, forgive me, Lord, and, and let me start over. And he does. But then, having come to Christ on the basis of faith, we now begin to try to live better lives. We try to do it in our own strength. We try to be kind and good, to tell the truth, to control our temper, to resist temptation. And, and, and when we fail, we, we grit our teeth, teeth and we resolve to try harder next time, only to fail again and get into this cycle of failure and forgiveness. The Apostle Paul comes along and says, you idiots, you foolish people. You couldn't save yourselves. What makes you think you can change yourselves? The only way to live the Christian life is to let Christ live his life through you. He just told them that in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. We can't live the Christian life, a supernatural life, in the natural. We simply don't have the strength. The, the only way to live that life is to let Christ live his life through us. Now, I'd like to try to illustrate that. This illustration I'm going to use is, is so simple, it's almost embarrassing, and I almost chucked it three times, but I'm going to go ahead and try it anyway. I have here with me a glove. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's a work glove. It's well made. It's got leather and Velcro. It's tightly stitched together. This glove is designed for work. It's made to lift and carry. So it ought to be able to do some work. So I say to that glove, glove, pick up that Bible. It doesn't do anything. Well, maybe what that glove needs is some, some encouragement, some inspiration. Come on, glove, you can do it. You were made to pick up that book. Well, there's nothing. Maybe the glove needs some, some training, it needs to be discipled. So I'm going to do some one-on-one -on -one here and say, come on, you know, you put your thumb and fingers together and there's still nothing. Maybe what the glove needs is some fellowship. You know, get some other gloves hanging around them. And, and maybe you get the hang of it. We'll make it a multicultural fellowship here and just... There's still nothing. You know what I think? I think this glove needs to make a commitment. It needs to rededicate itself to being a glove. Raise a hand and come forward and get baptized or something. Now you get the point. It's painfully obvious at this point. Even though that glove was designed for work, it can't do work until a living hand 
fills every part of it and does its work through the glove. And that's how the Christian life works. We are not able to live the supernatural life of God in our own strength. Now, we have the capacity for it. We were made for it, but we don't have the power for it because of our fallen human condition. The only way to live that life is to let Christ live His life through us, and He does that through His Holy Spirit. So let's press on in chapter 5 and then try to bring it together. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Remember now, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It is the life of Christ in us. When Jesus left and returned to heaven, he said to his disciples and to us, it's for your good that I'm going away because when I go away, the Father will send the Spirit to you and the Spirit will not only be with you, the Spirit will be in you. See, as wonderful as it was for the disciples to have Jesus with him, with them every day, showing them how, encouraging them how, teaching them, in the end, they were still their same fallen natural selves. They were goofy fishermen. And so in the end, they failed miserably. Even when Jesus warned them, even when he encouraged them, even when, he, even when they promised to do the right thing, they failed miserably. Why? Because they were still in their natural strength. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell on them on the day of Pentecost and they were filled with the life of Christ that they were now able to become the bold, brave, compassionate, world-changing apostles that they had been called to be in the first place. And that's how it is for us. Our natural selves and our human condition, we're simply not able to be the people we were created to be. In fact, because of our fallen sinful nature, fallen human nature, our sinfulness, there's something inside that's actually resisting God's will and God's ways. So Paul says it's like there's a war going on inside us between our, our old human self and our new spiritual self. And what Paul's telling us is that you don't win that war by trying, but by trusting. It's not so much a matter of resisting sin as it is yielding to God's Spirit. Look at a couple more verses. Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul is describing here the kind of people we all want to be, the kind of lives we want to live. Patient, kind, good, loving, full of joy, mastering our desires and our behaviors. We're unable to do that in the natural. It's only by the supernatural, by the life of Christ with us, that we're able to do that through His Holy Spirit. And we do that by trusting, not trying. Now, John Ortberg suggests that the 
way to understand this is by understanding the difference between rowing and sailing. In a rowboat, you provide the power. With practice, you can get pretty good at rowing. And with some training, you can build up your strength to row faster and farther. But no matter how hard you train and practice, eventually there are going to be limits as to how far and how fast you can row a boat. And when the wind is against you, or when the current's carrying you in another direction, no matter how hard or fast you row, you may find yourself ending up someplace you don't want to be. In a sailboat, the wind provides the power. All you have to do is catch it. And if you know how to catch the wind, even the slightest breeze can get you moving. And, and, and even if the wind should happen to be blowing against you, if you can set your sail right, you can actually get where you're going even by sailing into the wind. And when the wind is with you, you can go farther and, and, and faster than you ever dreamed possible. There's almost no limit. You can sail across the ocean. You don't want to row across the ocean. Some people live the Christian life like they're rowing a boat, pulling and straining with all their might, gritting their teeth, trying harder. It's not much fun, and it's only a matter of time before their strength gives out, and they're dead in the water, or they're being carried to some place they don't want to be. But for those who understand the Spirit, living the Christian life is like sailing a boat. The Spirit provides the power, we just set our sail. Now, it's not like we're passive. A sailor still has to set the sail and, uh, and read the wind and work the tiller, all those things. But it's the, it's the wind of the Spirit that carries us along. And when the Spirit's carrying us, we can go a lot farther and faster than we ever thought, and it's usually a whole lot more fun than rowing. Is it any wonder that the word for spirit in the ancient languages is the same word for wind? Is it any wonder that when Nicodemus came to Jesus asking how he could get eternal life, Jesus said, only the wind of God's spirit can carry you there? And is it any wonder that when the spirit fell on the day of Pentecost, the sound of it was like the rushing of a mighty wind? A wind that would carry those disciples to people and places they never dreamed possible. Living the Christian life isn't a matter of trying, but trusting. It's less about resisting sin and more about yielding to the Spirit. It's a matter of setting your sail to catch the wind. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, again, it's not like we're passive. We don't just sit around. We, we still do things to catch the wind of the Spirit. We read, we read our Bibles, we, we pray, we fellowship, we study. We, we do all those things, but we're not doing those works to be good Christians. We're simply learning how to stay in tune with the Spirit, how to keep in step with the Spirit, how to catch the wind. Now, just this week, I received an email from a woman here at Grace and she was reflecting on some of the things we've been talking about in this Holy Spirit series. She didn't know what I was going to talk about this particular week, but it had remarkable resonance. And so I asked if I could share a little bit of her story, and she gave me her permission to do that. Uh, I'll call her Nancy. 
And she describes how, how for many years she struggled with food addiction. She realized that she had been directing her desire for more, more satisfaction, more joy, into a desire for more food and trying to satisfy it that way, and it wasn't working. And all the usual methods of dealing with food issues were not working for her either. But somewhere along the way, she came to understand the principle we've been talking about this morning. Listen to how she expresses it. The past 10 years have been transformative for me as I learned to let go and surrender my desire for more to God. Results started showing right away on the outside as well as on the inside. My heart is learning how to yield. With God's help, I focus my day and fill it with gratitude and not complaints. I'm not exempt from sinful tendencies. Those are still my gut reactions, and I'm not cured. But I'm in remission. I'm learning to pause in the moment and try a new and unfamiliar way of responding. This helps me stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and focus less on myself. Now, she goes on to mention ministries that have been helpful to her along the way, Joy Bible Study and Mom to Mom and Celebrate Recovery and uh, Camp of the Woods and Retreats and all kinds of things she's taken advantage of here at Grace. But she says, through these channels, I'm getting immersed in the simple truth of trusting God, which is not easy for me because my default mode is to take care of myself and trust no one. Now, that woman is a superhero as far as I'm concerned. She has become a blessing to her family, to her friends, to everyone who knows her. I don't have time to list the number of ways and places she is making a difference in the life of this church and her community and even the world. Her story illustrates the kind of supernatural life that's possible when we allow Christ to live his life through us by the Holy Spirit. Some people call it the Spirit-filled life. Others call it the victorious Christian life. Some call it the exchanged life, since we exchange our life for Christ's life. I think I like Jesus' simple word, the abundant life. The only way to live the abundant Christian life is to let Christ live his life through us by the Holy Spirit. There's no magic formula for doing that. But let me offer you a, a, few, a few thoughts on how you can begin to catch the wind of God's Spirit. First, get acquainted with the Spirit. Uh, for many of us, the, the, the Holy Spirit is the forgotten person of the Trinity. We don't really know who He is and what He does and how He operates. And it's hard to read the wind when you don't even... It's hard to set your sail, rather, when you can't read the wind. And so that's what we've been doing in this series, is trying to learn more about the person and work of God's Holy Spirit. We've got a couple more weeks to go, but you might want to do some more work on your own. So a few scripture passages I'd suggest if you want to do some of your own studying. John chapters 13 through 16, which we looked at uh, back during Lent. Acts chapter 2, Romans 8, Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 12. These are all great passages on the work of the Spirit. And I've mentioned some good books that are out there, classic works on the Holy Spirit. Charles Stanley, Chuck Swindoll, more recently Jack Levison. Uh, there are others, but do some reading. And get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. 
Secondly, invite the Spirit into your daily life. Now, if you've already received Christ as your Savior, then then you have the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait for some second thing to happen to you. You have the Holy Spirit. But the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Spirit is shy. That's the word theologians use to describe the work of the Spirit, shy. The Spirit doesn't push His way into all the nooks and crannies of your life. He waits to be invited. And that's what we've been doing in this series, is inviting the Spirit to fill the life of our church. And maybe you need to be just as intentional about inviting God's Spirit into your home life or your work life or your school life or or your extended family, whatever it might be. And then thirdly, yield to the Spirit at critical moments. Yield to the Spirit in critical moments. When you find yourself in a moment of testing or temptation, when, when the wind is against you or you're being carried by the current to a place you don't want to go, instead of gritting your teeth and trying harder, put up a sail and ask God to fill it. So when that seductive ad pops up on your computer screen, when someone jumps all over you at work and you want to strike back, when your kids are pushing you to the very limit, when you're tempted just to give up and chuck the whole thing, instead of trying harder, take a pause and invite God's Spirit to meet you in that moment and to fill you like a hand filling a glove. When Superman needs superpower, He doesn't grit his teeth and try harder. What does he do? He ducks into a phone booth and exchanges his suit for a cape. When you find yourself in a moment of testing or temptation, instead of trying harder, duck into an imaginary phone booth and exchange your life for Christ's life. Invite him to fill you in that very moment and live his life through you because the only way to live the abundant Christian life is to let Jesus live his life through you by the Spirit. Now, in just a moment, we're going to come to the communion table and it's a wonderful opportunity to invite and receive the filling of God's Spirit. The bread and the cup, they represent the life of Christ. And so when we receive them, we are symbolically receiving Christ. Now, if you have never, ever done that, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, never received His Holy Spirit, you can do that maybe for the very first time as you receive the elements this morning. Maybe you've already done that, you you know the Spirit's in your life, but lately you find you've been doing things in your own strength rather than His strength. Communion's a wonderful time to invite the Spirit into all those nooks and crannies of your life. And if you happen to be struggling with some particular besetting sin or habit or frustration right now, this would be a wonderful time to surrender that particular struggle or test to the Spirit. So let's pray as we prepare to come to the table. Lord, we're grateful for the work of your Spirit in our hearts. So many of us have experienced that work in a variety of ways over the years. 
but we humbly and honestly say we'd love to experience more, more of your life and love and power in our personal lives and the life of our church. And so, Lord, in a very particular way, we pray that in these moments, we might take advantage of this time and space to welcome you in. Thank you, Lord, that it doesn't depend on us, but that you are willing to give us the strength we don't have to live the lives that we were made to live. Meet us here in these moments, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.